Jesus says to us, go make disciples of all nations. But you and I feel terribly inadequate to that task. The thoughts that run through your head go something like, I am a fool. I don't speak well. I don't know what to say. I just don't have the resources. But such statements on our part are missing the largest truth of all. You have Jesus. He has risen from the dead to be with you. How can you ever be poor? You can think instead and hold on to God's promise, I have all things in him. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 Hello, this is Pastor John Edding. Thank you for listening to the Sand Hills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. This is the sixth and last sermon in the sermon series from the book of Acts called I See Jesus. Let's get to today's sermon from Acts chapter 1, entitled, Rich. Please be seated. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Never before has anyone stood up and spoken like this among the twelve. Nobody has ever addressed the brothers and applied the Bible God's word to their situation in this manner. Nobody that is except Jesus. But he was not, account, not counted among them there that day in the upper room in Jerusalem, at least not visibly. Uh, they had just seen their Lord taken up into heaven with their own eyes. So apparently they had to take care of business on their own, apparently. They had unfinished business to deal with. It was sad business uh, that day. Their circle was broken, you see. The twelve lacked one. So with this reading today, and I invite you to uh, have your Bible available or the bulletin, uh, we're just going to look at, work through the text, and then we're going to apply it, just real simply. Uh, That's the outline. Let's take a look at the text. Judas's betrayal, his death, reminded those gathered in the upper room of their own failures. I mean, all of the remaining disciples had had shown failure, failure of courage at the crucifixion of their leader. Jesus had chosen them. He had gathered them uh, together and to become this new Israel. But seeing their Lord hanging on a tree, the remainder of the twelve just unraveled, scattered, they fled. But those disciples gathered again in the upper room and they remembered how Christ had stood among them. The risen Savior stood among them once again and they remembered how they approached their resurrected Lord. And We also have now recorded in the first 11 verses of the book of Acts um, this dialogue between their Lord and these 12. In effect, the the 12 are, are minus one, are asking, having completely failed you so miserably, do we, your people, still have any role in the coming of your kingdom? 
Well, the good news for them is that God had not given up on his church um, despite its many failings. So Jesus responded this way. You don't need to trouble yourself with the timing of the restoration of the kingdom, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to proclaim the message of forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness in my name starting in Jerusalem. And now Peter stands, and all eyes are on him. And when Peter stands up, he's speaking like Jesus, who had spoken before. He said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So Peter is preaching a word to make sense of this whole in their fellowship. The brothers, the remaining 10, as well as the other uh, sisters and brothers, numbering about 120 now, most likely since what in Peter? Since sadness. They felt it themselves. The sadness comes as a, as a fact uh, that they spent three momentous years with Judas, whom they called brother. Why did, Jesus, why did Judas betray Jesus? There is sadness over his death. Now, this sadness was made painful because of his betrayal. Now, that's trauma. Now, this wasn't just kind of any superficial, owie, minor bump, bruise. Oh, no. This was like a man who experiences major head trauma. That's what they were experiencing. And how would they ever recover from this? Could they recover? Well, Peter doesn't spend much time recounting the past. He, he doesn't dwell on the pain or, or even try to explain it away. He just notes the pain simply and quickly as a reminder of the fulfillment of the word, God's word in their midst and then turns to the hope of their future. And where do they find this hope? Well, the hope is the resurrection. They have hope. The resurrection gives hope to them. Christ's resurrection is in the middle of their unfinished business. They have hope. But here in the room, there is still, again, unfinished business. The circle must be made whole and unbroken again and they conduct the business, um, saturating this, this business of making that what is broken um, whole again. They saturate that business with prayer. You see that in verse 14, verses 24 through 25. Everything these disciples are doing in this upper room is permeated with prayer. And they pray for Christ's indwelling presence. Now, Jesus had appointed 12 to be witnesses, but one of them betrayed his Lord. So Peter stands up and he proposes a means to replace him in that number of witnesses. His criteria uh, are steep. They had to be present from the beginning of Jesus's ministry, that is from the time of his baptism, and among those who had seen the resurrected Christ. That was a criteria. Amazingly, they can put forward 
Two men, Matthias and Joseph. Where did these guys come from? <laughs> they had never been mentioned in the, in the Gospels until now. And of course, the prayerful lot will be cast on Matthias, who will promptly never be heard from again. Thus, we may ask, how is the circle now unbroken? Well, the numerical symbolism is it's obvious enough, right? The Israel has 12 tribes. The new Israel has 12 apostles. And the restoration of new Israel has begun. It's like a, a rebirth. There would be growing pains. So that's the text. How do we apply this to our lives, lived lives together today? What well, today marks the, the sixth, and it's the last sermon in the sermon series from the book of Acts that we've been working through. This, this sermon is entitled Rich, because as witnesses of the resurrection of our Lord, we often look at the scarcity around us rather than the riches, the gifts that we have in Christ. So Christ is in our midst, and his good news today would make us open to the gifts which our Lord brings, and brings often from unexpected quarters. We see this in Jesus' own ministry. Jesus received the, the worship of the woman of ill repute, uh, who washed his feet with her tears. Uh, think of the, the little boy who brought his lunch, right, in the midst of thousands of people. Uh, and Jesus received that little gift, the gift of a little boy's lunch, and he made a meal for thousands. Jesus lay in a borrowed tomb. He's open to gifts from strangers. He opens our hearts today to see that his, his resources are far greater, far greater than ours. We could only see the tragedy of Judas's, uh, can only see the tragedy of Judas's betrayal. We've experienced betrayal before, most likely. And we imagine a band of witnesses, which is one short, uh, but Jesus has men in reserve that we are unaware of. Uh, it reminds me of Elijah in the cave. Remember how Elijah so depressed and discouraged um, in his ministry, he was hiding out in, in a cave at Mount Horeb. And then he learns from God, he learns that God has reserved 7,000 men in Israel who have not bent the knee who have, to Baal. Elijah never saw them until God pointed them out. So Jesus says to you and to me, go and make disciples of all nations. But you and I, I feel maybe at times completely inadequate to do this task. I, I don't speak well. I, I, I'm not, I don't know what to say. I just don't have the resources. Um, but such statements on our part are missing, missing the largest truth of all. You and I have Jesus. And if he has risen from the dead to be with you, how can you ever be poor? If you are feeling this way about yourself, if you're feeling this way about the church, then I have good news for you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. You and I have all things in Christ, in him. But you, again, like myself, at times may be frightened of this calling to be his witnesses, to be his witness, and you see your, your sinfulness, uh, your weakness, your weariness, um, and failures. And you see these things in, also in the church. But it's, remember, you're part of the church, and it is God's church. It's his mission. It's his calling. God has made himself available and present in your life. And he's not kidding. This is not just a, a warm sentiment. You know, my thoughts are with you. <laughs> no, he's truly here. So what challenge, what need, what personal shortcoming can, you, can possibly stop you from hearing and pursuing his call to you? You and I can walk into the dragon's teeth because... The one who is the resurrection is with you. You and I turn, and he has resources at every side. Who has ever heard of Matthias and Joseph? <laughs> Yet there they were. God had them in reserve. Is your lack or your need really just your inability to see what God has given you? Does God in this text open to you gifts which are unexpected and unlooked for? So I want to give two specific applications here. The first one is, what do you do with the discouragement that you feel? You know, as you go about fulfilling this mandate to be witnesses of the resurrection, what do you do with that discouragement? Well, remember that you're part of a team of witnesses. Now, your own um, efforts at evangelism might um, often seems to fall on deaf ears. You, you and I get discouraged when that happens. You want to see success because you love the people to whom you bear this witness. But Peter suggests today that the 12th witness is important. I think of it this way. I might only be witness number five, or somewhere else in that list. I always imagine that, um, uh, that I'm James the Younger or another uh, of the otherwise anonymous disciples among Jesus' followers. Um, and it's the 12th witness who will get to see the person come to faith. But he or she needs to hear the other 11. They are all just as important. So if I, as witness number five, am silent, then the big day might have to wait for yet another to come along and round out that number. I know the Holy Spirit does not work so mechanically. He can work his miracle regardless of uh, human effort or the number of witnesses. Nevertheless, he has promised to work through my witness, through your witness, I love this story because it tells me that I'm a part of a team of witnesses in the life of every other human being. I 
do not bear the whole burden. You do not bear the whole burden. Only the burden of a witness. I must tell what I have seen and heard. That's what a witness does. Christ has risen from the dead and I have known his presence in some way. I just need to speak about that. Bear witness to the resurrected Christ today. Praise God publicly, like we're doing today, in the hearing of another, that God has been active in your life. And bear that witness. Second application. Be open to the Savior's gifts, the risen Savior's gifts, to supply your need, which might come from unexpected quarters. God has disciples hidden in the wings. What resources does he have for our church and our mission here in the Sand Hills, which we are not using or even recognizing? What Joseph uh, and Matthias are sitting out in the pews? Witnesses to great things, but who have not been tapped yet. What resources of time, treasure, and talent are, are lying untapped in the lives of the people that God has gathered here? And what folks are perhaps believers in Christ and you and I don't even recognize it? The good news in today's reading would have us take note of the presence of Christ in our midst and make us open to the gifts which our Lord brings from unexpected quarters. You probably are familiar with that movie, I think it's from the 70s, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I see some nodding out there. Charlie Bucket, right? And his, I love that name, Charlie Bucket, and his family are very poor, so poor that his four grandparents sleep huddled together in the same bed. So poor that the family subsists on just bread, potatoes, and cabbage. So poor that Charlie gets only one delicious Wonka chocolate bar for his birthday each year. But that's what makes the treat so special. And Charlie's parents save what precious little money they have in order to gift their son that one special thing on that one special Day. And although his birthday chocolate bar would not be the one containing the life-changing coveted golden ticket that grants entry to Willy Wonka's mysterious chocolate factory, we find out, though, that he does get that entry into the factory. And then in the final scene, and it almost looks like Charlie blew it, but in the final scene of the movie, Willy Wonka finds out from Charlie that he likes the chocolate factory and he turned in, um, what was it, the everlasting gobstopper, okay? He showed his honesty, his goodness. And Willy Wonka asked him, do you like the chocolate factory? And, and of course, Charlie says, I love the, the chocolate factory. And Willy Wonka says, I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that because I'm giving it to you. Charlie ends up inheriting the chocolate factory. He receives the gift from an unexpected quarter, maybe even a strange quarter. Uh, the church will always be faced with the challenge of perceived scarcity 
We only have one bed. We only have bread and potatoes and cabbage to eat. And if only we could win the golden ticket. But the greatest gifts come from unexpected quarters. And like Charlie's family, we have our church family. We're on the same team, a team of witnesses. We have the gifts that are given to the church, Christ's word, Jesus' body and blood in the supper. And Jesus, the treasure of heaven, has given us his heirs, his kingdom, both now and forever. Charlie wins this prize in the movie because he's honest and he's good, and then he's given a, really an, an earthly kingdom, and, and of course he gets to take care of the Oompa Loompas. But we are given the gift of sharing the riches of Christ and his kingdom, his forever kingdom, not due to something inherently good in us. No. In fact, we, we get what we don't deserve. Now that's called grace. We often look into our own bank accounts and personal reserves when we hear God's command to be his Easter people. We take stock of what we have and think, well, we do not have enough. As are we open to God's gifts? Perhaps, perhaps from strange quarters, from strange places, perhaps unexpected, but always more than we expect or deserve. Jesus, the treasure of heaven, has made us heirs of the kingdom. That can never be taken away from us. Are we ever confronted with a problem for which we do not have resources? In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.